Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome again to the ESPN Footy Podcast for another week. Proudly sponsored by Subway. Get your mid-match feast delivered fresh. Subway, eat fresh. Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels, Christian Jolly here to take you through the next 45 minutes or so for another week. Uh, Jake, a lot happening because uh, just as we've gone to record, AFL CEO Gillan McLaughlin has announced he'll be stepping down at the end of the season. Uh, and this is, you know, before we have to talk about every other sort of thing that happened over the weekend. And there's plenty to chat, chat about, as always. There certainly is. Um, and I must say, it's very rare that we get breaking news before the show. It usually, it usually comes 10 minutes after we're finished and we're kind of scrambling. We don't get a chance to redo our show. So from that point of view, I'll say thank you to Gil. And also another <laughs> thank you for what he's done. Because in all honesty, I know we, we joke a bit on the podcast, but he has done a lot for the game. Um, in the eight eight or nine years he's been he's he's been in the role. I mean, we're just looking back uh, this morning over some of the things he's achieved and 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 what he's done, especially in some really difficult times. Mm. Um, yeah, fantastic effort, really. Christian, uh, good to speak with you again. We've got some more interesting nuggets coming our way from you on expected scores and some Premiership window stuff, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, you know, the 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 legacy that. Gill leaves, uh, you know, probably not so much interesting from a statistical point of view, but but you would have seen over the course of a, a little bit longer than Jake and I, you know, AFL CEOs come and go, but but you must think he's right up there in terms of where he's been able to take the game. Yeah, definitely. I've uh, been a big fan of Gill and, um, you know, from I think he was always groomed to be that replacement with Andrew Demetrio. So he sort of took over uh, from that era and sort of, you know, I think Andrew Demetrio did a good job as well, but I think Gill took the ball and Kept it rolling, two new franchises, um, got them all game, you know, again, we were already a national game, probably got the game a bit more national. Um, we still started the AFL media arm, which is, you know, the, the website and some of the uh, stories we, you know, we get from there, which was a good start. But I always, I always rated him just because I've also met him as well, but I just always known him as a footy fan. He genuinely loves football. So he's not just a businessman that's been put into the role that needs to make money. I think a lot of the decisions he's made, I, I can see the football fan in him sort of making those decisions for the good of football. Um, and he doesn't, you know, doesn't make everyone happy all the time. But I think, as I said, he's always had the greater good of the game um, at the forefront of his mind. Those, those $2 Marvel Stadium meat pies, it's... Uh... It's the one you over, didn't man it? Man of the people, Gil. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to talk about what his greatest legacy was, and, and you've just stolen mine, Jake. So thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> Before we get into the nitty gritty, um, something you noticed from round four, which piqued your attention, Jake? Well, we were just having the debate before we started. Uh, Jared Leanit or Jared Lynott? Mm-hmm. Where are we? Which way are we going? Because I've heard it pronounced a, quite a few different ways. I'm not 100% sure, I must admit. However, I was following along scores over the weekend of the, um, of the St Kilda Hawthorne game and happened to see his little photo on the AFL stats page. And he's still in his port jumper. Like, this is, we're round four. We're, we're going into round five now, and they still can't get a photo of him. In a so that's, yeah, that's the, because uh, he was a, a preseason selection. So he obviously missed the St. Kilda Media Day and been signed to the list. And But what? They don't have a, they, they hired a camera for a day and they don't have another camera at St. Kilda. Can't well, someone take a photo now. of him? He's played three games for the Saints. Surely someone can pull him aside. Uh, and say, mate, we've just got to take a real quick photo of you uh, for, for the website. Well, for Photoshop every, you know. a Saints jersey over the top. <laughs> yeah, very strange. strange. Um, I, I did notice that as well, but it must have been after you because you, you took dibs on that for you or something I've noticed. Let's, uh, let's, Christian. Um, we should keep monitoring this. Let's see how many, what's <laughs> the over-under on how many weeks it takes to get this sorted? <laughs> uh, Christian, something you noticed. 
little, little bit Guernsey related as well. A little one I noticed. Jaden Hunt's uh, Guernsey, Jersey, whatever we want to call it, on Thursday night against Port Adelaide was a different shade of blue to the rest of his teammates. I don't know if you picked no. that up. It's, it's a lighter shade right? of blue. I'm, I'm sure of it. You, you, I've watched the game twice now, and, yeah, you can sort of stands out that he had just a different shade of blue on. I don't think I was the only person to notice it looking over Twitter. But more of a statistical one, um, and, you know, we flagged it probably a few weeks ago, but one thing I've noticed is set of bounces scores, um, you know, coaches have already got their way and they've killed that off. Uh, so if you look at back at round one, 260 points were scored directly out of set of bounce clearances, uh, 242 in round two, 198 in round three, and we're down to 140 this round. So we sort of flagged that, yes, footy was exciting and high scoring, but we knew coaches wouldn't allow it to sort of, keep running that way. And as I said, down to 140 points scored from center bounces across the weekend was one of the lowest points across the lowest, uh, across the past two years. So um, yeah, it could be something that's drying up slowly. Unfortunately, if I was a betting man, uh, you could have put money on that at the start of the season that if, if scores from center clear, uh, scores from center bounces started at X, it was going to go down after the first month, because and we say it every time, Jake, Coaches yeah. don't want this sort of stuff to happen. They want to be able to control the footy from, you know, from if it's coming at them, they want to be have their defense in a position where they can control the footy, um, funnel the forwards to places that aren't easy to kick goals from, um, fill the space and all this sort of other stuff. So it makes, you know, perfect sense to me that this has happened. Yeah, you can. T- I think you can tell too, just by the way that the the four in the middle are setting up at center bounces. They they are just on the more defensive, cautious, conservative side, mm. um, because we know how 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 much a team can punish you and how quickly they can punish you from just getting a center clearance. I'm just looking now through Twitter because Christian, you, you've the 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 Jaden Hunt thing is has sort of blown me away. But you're absolutely right. It is definitely more of a North Melbourne shade of blue than a Melbourne a way jumper shade of blue, which oh, is well, always admit, it's good for me because as a back caller, I do mix him and Langdon up, but by the second <laughs> quarter, I was never mixing him up again. So, well, my initial thought was because they both, maybe the, both the long sleeve jumpers were a different shade, but no, no, no. It's definitely just hunt because I'm looking at a screenshot of them both in, in the same, uh, in the same passage of play. And it is definitely lighter. Got to say that, bizarre. that demons Jersey is the best in football, I reckon, right now. The royal blue. The, the yeah. lighter the blue goes, it takes, yeah. It takes so good. We might yeah. have to do a, a rankings, a power rankings, Jake, at some point. <laughs> um, my something I noticed, uh, we've talked about him on the pod before, but Tom Green, uh, his start to the year has been, been pretty good for the Giants. Uh, and he kicked two back-to-back goals against the Dockers on the weekend that were magnificent and, and really kept his side in, in, in the game. Uh, and, and credit to the Dockers in that last turn. That was exciting stuff to, for them to sort of kick another six straight and, and, and run away with it. And they find themselves third on the ladder all of a sudden. Uh, so we might get into them at some point in future weeks. Uh, but Tom Green kicked his second goal in a row, uh, was pretty up and about about, uh, about it, um, and was going to celebrate and sort of turn to punch the air. And there was a Fremantle player there. It might've been Heath Chapman. And so he's gone and accidentally punched this Freo player and everyone's gone to remonstrate with him thinking he's gone and, you know, started a fight. But I genuinely think he just meant to fist pump the air and he's just caught a, caught a player and, and it started a little bit of an all-in brawl after the goal. It must've been, I didn't see that one. There you go. Something I noticed. There you are. Yeah, very good. You, you, very you always have some good stuff. You some always quirky seem little to... Bits. <laughs> well, I'll leave the stats to Christian because he's got that covered. Uh, and you always come up with something interesting, Jake. So I thought uh, it's best to just try and find something a little bit left of field. Moving into the uh, main body of the podcast, we're going to continue with our let's overreact to segment where we'll sort of say a statement or pose a question, overreact to it, and then try and find some sort of middle ground and, and find out a question. But we kind of touched on it off the top, uh, Christian and Jake, 
both we sort of mentioned it that um, because Gil McLaughlin is standing down, it's only kind of fair to look at what he's been able to achieve as AFL CEO in the last eight to nine years by the time it, uh, he hangs up the boots and sort of judge what he's been able to do. So I'll put it to you guys that he might be the best CEO the AFL has ever had. Um, well, obviously, I, I can't definitively say that because I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't alive and I wasn't around for certain periods of different AFL CEOs. But from watching Gil uh, and seeing what he's been able to do and how he's been able to take the AFL uh, and, and obviously start and pioneer everything with the AFLW, it's been a phenomenal effort. I think looking at what Gil's done, the AFLW will be what he's remembered for uh, and that will define his legacy. However, I think the most impressive thing that he's done is navigate through the last two years when all looked lost. Um, there were periods, you know, I remember we've had, we had private meetings about what the hell we were going to do because football was off. And I think football fans, football players, coaches, everyone that has any vested interest in football owes him a massive thank you. And look, it's not just one person, but he is the head of the snake. And what he was able to do to get the season back on track relatively quickly, considering everything was what was happening, everyone was able to play each other. And we were able to crown a champion two years in a row in the AFL. Mm. I thought that was a monumental effort. And uh, it may not be something that we look back on in 20 years time and, and remember Gil for. And I, I think that is probably where the AFLW work will, will, will overshadow it. And, and that's completely fine. But I think as far as the AFLW was something that could, was planned for a long time and it was, and it was executed. Whereas this was just, completely thrown a curveball and the way he handled it showed that he was the right man for the job. Yeah, that's a really good point. And if you remember, there was talk that he wanted to hang up the boots at the end of 2020 uh, and put that off because of the pandemic and, and wanted to help navigate um, AFL and AFLW through that time. Uh, because, you know, you could just tell if he'd gone ahead with that, the instability, who knows what might've happened. So for him to kind of put aside his, his personal desires and, and say, no, 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 we'll, we'll continue to write the ship and, and look to, to move forward in this time. And, and the way that I think the AFL handled it, I mean, yeah, you know, we always get a bit of content out of oh, the fixturing on a Tuesday night at 5.40 in Perth between Hawthorne and St Kilda or whatever, you know, it was, it's sort of funny at the time and all that kind of stuff, but by and large, we've had two full seasons that have been, you know, and the talk was, will they be asterisk seasons? I don't think they have been. I think they are going to be remembered as, just seasons that happened. Um, we had a, a Perth grand final, which, you know, allayed a lot of people's fears about taking footy's major showpiece away from the heartland, so to speak. Um, so I, I think in terms of him putting aside his, his self, like selfish wants in terms of what he actually wants, not that he's being selfish, um, to sort of see the AFL through this, this period of, of uncertainty and instability, I think is really, really commendable as well. And he's absolutely left the game in a better place than what it has been. Uh, you look at broadcast deals that he's been able to sign. You look at the way that the fixturing has evolved throughout his tenure as well. I think there are some big ticks to be had there as well, even though it's not perfect. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, I think when, when you look at it, I think, the way or the amount that the AFL and the AFLW has progressed, I think you can't look at any AFL era CEO and think that anyone's done more. Christian, any thoughts? No, I think you've summed it up. I think Jake basically said all my points for me, unfortunately, but yeah, the way he's navigated the last two years. And again, I'm, I'm part of the industry and, you know, Jake's the same. So we're part of, you know, Gil keeping us in a job really, um, you, you know, Gil. I sort of almost thank him for that. And yeah, yeah, keeping the competition going, but you're right. The, the AFLW and setting that up 
um, to be, you know, and he hasn't, he didn't set it up, but he could have set it up in a, in a VFL state league type thing. Yeah. We've got an AFLW competition. It's not on TV. We'll play the grand final and, but he's put it, you know, he's, he started it off as a, uh, a TV competition and got it into the, you know, into millions of Aussies households. And um, I think that's what he's done well with the AFLW is he's thrown it up and, you know, sort of pushed it to be the elite competition that it is quicker than, probably other people would have allowed it to had you know some, someone else started the same competition hmm. now look we're not going to speculate on on who might be the replacement because there are obviously a lot of water to go under the bridge so to speak but you know there, there are some contenders i think brendan gale richmond ceo was in the contention last time before when when um, hmm. andrew dimitro was stepping down and um before gil got that gig andrew Dillon, who's the chief legal counsel of the afl travis all gm of broadcasting and, and and clubs there are names that you're going to hear over the next sort of few months uh, as someone who might be a, a good replacement but names aside jake i think there's a really big question now that we are sort of well fingers crossed and touch board out the other side of this pandemic and it's what the biggest challenge for this next ceo will be in this current climate and it's a really big question because there are a couple of aspects of footy that have um that have changed as, as a result of COVID-19 and, and possibly changed forever. So I want to throw this to you both. Um, maybe Christian, I might start with you. What do you think the biggest challenge for the next CEO is? I'm sure there's more to it, but I think one of the things I want to know day one is what, what's the few, how many teams in the competition, you know, take, take Tassie out of the equation and, you know, whether they're going to get a new team. I think we need a hard and fast. Are we looking to go to 20? Are we looking to go to 10 games around? Um, are we looking at, you know, maybe just bringing in one more and having buys again? We sort of sit on the fence and we talk about Tassie and should they come in and should a team move to Tassie? I think the CEO, the new CEO should be strong in, okay, in the next 10 years, we want to have a 20-team competition or we want to have an 18-team competition with a team in Tassie. I think setting out that sort of, um, you know, landscape at, from the beginning is probably a big one for me. Mm. It's a good point because I think you do look at Gill's tenure and, and it ticks across the board, but there has been a lot of hesitancy and umming and ahhing over the Tasmania debate, Jake. And we've been having this in our office. You know, Neil, friend of the pod who used to be uh, on this on this panel, um, proud Tasmanian. And, and I remember he was campaigning strongly for it years ago when, when he was still at the company. Certainly was. Um, yeah, I, I think the other thing is probably around uh crowds and, and yeah. i don't think this is an afl specific issue i think this is going to be a, a global sport issue in terms of how we go back to or, or if we go back to our habits that we had prior to uh the pandemic and i get the sense and, and i hope i'm wrong but i do get the feeling that many of us kind of got comfortable watching games at home and felt like it would it you know, take the atmosphere out, you kind of get a, a better experience um, when, you, when you're not factoring in the, the travel. It's a whole day, day thing, the cost, taking a family, taking the train in or driving or parking and eating and everything that's involved with the, the, the amount of time, money and energy you invest into going to watch just one game, let alone going to watch 10 for the season. So I, I think there are going to be some significant challenges around crowds um, and whether we can, because I think the... the <clears throat> pardon me, the audience has obviously grown in the last eight years since Gil's been there. But I think we're going to be, we're at an interesting point now in, in world sport to see what will happen uh, with people actually attending uh, sporting events. And, and it might sound crazy. I say that after the Grand Prix just broke the record on the weekend for the most attended <laughs> sporting event, but I think that's a little bit different because we didn't have it for three years. So um, yeah, I, I think with football on every week, um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think yeah, that's that was certainly a challenge. 
that was kind of where I was thinking as well and, and leaning because we had some great crowds this, this season, but we've also had some pretty underwhelming ones, especially in, in you know, footy heartlands like, you know, Adelaide and Perth. And I know that Perth's going through and West Australia's going through their own dramas with, with COVID almost for the first time. So there, there are obviously some sort of things like that. Um, there will be a broadcast deal coming up shortly. I think um, uh, KO and Fox have theirs extended until the end of 2024, but the new CEO will have to deal with that as well. And, and there are many different ways this can go as well because we've seen how other leagues they're pivoting towards these sort of streaming concepts and 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 the way mm. that you can kind of divvy up the 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 rights between many different stakeholders and i wonder if that's a direction the afl thinks it can go in maybe you know espn picks up a friday night um oh. you know seven can continue showing their three a week foxtel shows a couple and then stan or whoever it might be come in and, and, and show some as well so there's a big challenge coming because when the broadcast rights were last done for the you know the, the big one um Streaming wasn't a thing. And there's this mm. new variable involved here and, and how they navigate that will be will be fascinating as well, I think. Well, I'd hope that they're all on uh, KO considering they're putting their prices up to $27.50, <laughs> I found out yesterday. Very disappointed to get that email, I have to say. <laughs> Before we get too, <laughs> too taken by this sort of stuff, we should move on. Uh, <laughs> expected scores, we, we've talked about them in previous weeks on the podcast. Um, and they've sort of, it's sort of blown up a bit and, and it's not just because of us. There are lots of people on Twitter that take a, a great interest in X scores, um, and, and the like, and we've been pretty strong, uh, about getting it on TV, Christian, kind of like the pressure rating gauge, uh, of last year when that came into fashion. Can you give us an update? Surely Fox or seven, they're looking at getting expected scores up and, and showing some nuggets throughout the game. Uh, well, I can't speak for either of them. I do, I, I do know that it's, it is it is available live, so it's something we built. I don't think it was available live um, at this stage last year. I think it was just a post-match thing, but we've built it live uh, late in the season and we sort of have a couple of software that we can sort of, you know, run during the game and see expected scores. So there we go. Um, sort Fox, of, yeah, I did mention, I think Herald Sun, Herald Sun have had it in their stats box uh, for their match scores for the last two or three years. So they've been one of the first to jump on it. And again, I think the first year, not many people sort of noticed it or mentioned it. And um, a lot more sort of, uh, yeah, people sort of taking notice of it. And as you've seen on Twitter, a lot more people talk about it in the last year or so. So I think, yeah, the, the next step will be, yeah, to see it on TV uh, live during a game. But as you said, some, yeah, a couple more interesting uh, results from the weekend. So there was... Um, only there was three games this weekend that sort of the results got flipped um, on the actual result based on the expected result with the biggest one being probably the most obvious uh, West coast and Collingwood. Uh, so West coast getting up with the win there kicking 14, three. Uh, so just couldn't miss on the day. So their, their expected score for that game was 61 points. They were able to manage actually get 87 points on the scoreboard. So, um, you know, 26 points added to their their total based on um, kicking above the accuracy. And similar for Collingwood, I mean, Collingwood just kicked themselves out of the game. They're expected to score at 95 points and only scored 74. So they lost 21 points. So basically a 47 or 45 point turnaround um, between those two teams uh, was the big one. And another, uh, the other two were sort of closer results, Essendon, um, or Adelaide should have got, got up against Essendon based on expected scores, and North should have got up against Sydney uh, based on expected scores, which, again, leads me to Sydney, who have actually probably been the most, uh, probably benefited the most from um, good accuracy this year, if you want to put it that way. So they're sitting at three and one, um, but they could possibly be two and two almost based on, oh, sorry, they could be one and three based on expected scores. So 
GWS, they won the game by 20. They should have won by five based on expected score. So they still get the victory, but not as comfortably as they did. Geelong, they won by 30 points. They should have lost by six based on expected scores and accuracy. Uh, that was the Buddy the buddy 1000 game? Yep, yep. He couldn't miss. Bulldogs, Bulldogs in round three. I mean, they lost by 11 points, but they should have lost by 41. So again, the, the scoreline flattered them in terms of how they were actually getting their scores. And as I spoke about on the weekend, uh, won by 11 points, but should have lost by four. So... At the moment, you look at that and sort of say, well, they're one and three on the expected score ladder based on where they're getting their shots and producing their scores. So at the moment, yeah, their, their record is looking a little bit better because of accuracy. Um, and we talk about sustainable. I mean, you can fix your own accuracy, but yeah, you sort of can't control you know, how unlucky or lucky you are with your opposition's accuracy. As I said, Sydney have been pretty lucky at the moment that their opposition's been inaccurate. You expect that to level out, and that's probably why Sydney probably got um, you know, a few issues to look at elsewhere around the field, um, to, you know, showing that their expected scores aren't as high as their actual scores are based on their accuracy. We, we also know the dogs have been pretty inaccurate this year. Uh, I don't know if you've got any stats on them, but also the, the thing that interests me when we were talking before this pod was um, the pies and how they've been unlucky and possibly one of the most unlucky teams or not unlucky, but you know, unfortunate teams that we've had this season. Yeah. So with the Bulldogs, um, I can start with them. So yeah, they're, they're you know, they hurt themselves with accuracy. I mean, they, they should have scored 78 points per game this year. They're down at 73, so negative five points lost on the scoreboard, which is the fourth lowest. Uh, but, yeah, at the other end of the scale is their points against, they again, out of their control, they're expected to concede six, 76 points per game. And they've conceded 90, so their opposition is almost 13 and a half uh, more points per game than they're expected to score. So, again, Bulldogs are leaving five points behind by inaccuracy. And their opposition's almost gaining two goals by kicking, you know, at above average accuracy. So they've been unlucky uh, with the scores. But yeah, Colling was probably the other one in terms of two weeks in a row now, their results could have been flipped based on expected scores. So we saw the Geelong come back in round three. Um, even after that comeback, looking at the, the match expected scores for that, still had Collingwood winning that game. And again, Collingwood should have beaten uh, West Coast on the weekend by, uh, I think we had the expected result to be yeah, 26 points in Collingwood's favour. So they should be 4-0, and Collingwood. Yeah, correct. And going by the expected scores ladder, we have them as being, they should be, if everyone kicked at uh, expected accuracy, they should be the only team at 4-0 and zip this year so far. <laughs> that, that's unbelievable. Um, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say I just didn't really think Collingwood was that good at the start of the season. And even still, just watching, I, I probably haven't had that takeaway. Obviously, they were dominating in that Geelong game and fell apart. Mm. Um. Yeah, I guess you can't you can't dispute that. That's what makes the, this number so great is that it really is a true indication of what how good you are. Yeah, and, and I heard a guy say it in here. It's, it's bigger picture stuff. I mean, yes, the scoreboard's important at the end of the game. That's that's what you're looking at, and you get four points for a win. But when you're trying to judge a whole season and sort of look at trends and how teams are going or whether they're improving or declining, expected scores is a, is a probably a, a much better measure to look at long term than just the actual result of a game. Mm, there you go. Well, we might feels keep bit, doing these. It feels a bit like percentage. Like it, it does yeah. give you a, a good idea over the course of a season or something like that. Yeah. Well, we might keep doing these just little expected scores, updates and nuggets throughout the year because um, as it does sort of grow in popularity, we might as well keep on top of it. Moving on though, um, something that took my interest throughout the week, Jake, was, and I keep hearing this term every now and then, another footyism, if you will, uh, but For the premiership window. <laughs> <laughs> the premiership window and and basically you know a, a team is in their premiership window or the premiership window is closing or or you know whatever any sort of 
combination of. Aren't they all technically in the premiership window as long as the season's going? Well, in round one, five minutes into the first game, I think everyone's premiership window is wide open. Uh, (laughs) But it got me kind of thinking, what exactly is a premiership window? And can we define it? And can we um, sort of, I don't know, come up with some stats or, or some some bits and pieces that kind of say that yes, if your if your team is doing this, this, and this, or your team is is this, this, and this, you are in your premiership window. So I put it to Christian throughout the week, um, and obviously talent is the variable here. But we've looked back kind of through Champion Data's records to work out what or, or when a list is in a premiership window in terms of games played and average age of the club. So Christian, I might get you to explain specifically what you've looked at and what you've discovered from this kind of research. Yeah, so again, looking at, it's, it's a funny query, and I'll sort of start with the, the query at hand is, you know, looking at a premiership window, what's the, what's the average age of a, of a premiership winning team? What's the average games played of a premiership winning team? Which is a sort of, it's, it's not a full question in itself because a, a premiership winning team, it's the 22 on the grand final day that actually win you the match, but it's your squad that gets you there across the whole season. So again, trying to look at what teams being here at round four of a season and looking at what teams in a premiership window, we can't predict who's going to be playing, who's going to be the 22 or 23 players on grand final day. So we, we're looking, leaving that out of, out of the equation um, and sort what of looking at... best 20, like... like exactly. We can predict it because yeah. it's so subjective, but is there any way you can kind of look at the 22 best players in the team and use that or is that... We, we can, but again, I'll just take you back to something like, you know, Robert Murphy for the Bulldogs. He's clearly in their best 22 up until a point of probably round 11 where he's no longer in their best 22 because mm. they found a replacement for him. So again, it, it is, it's not that simple of saying, okay, yeah. here's your best 22 and that's who's going to play on grand final because there's so much more. Yeah. So, so many things that can change between now and uh, 24 weeks away if we're trying to do it for today. So again, I just sort of looked at the squad list, things, things that we know. So we know where every team's at at the moment in terms of average games played and average age of their list. So what I've done is I've looked at the last, uh, 10 or so premiers and where their age and average games ranked at the start of the season coming into them winning the premiership. So again, if we start back, as I said, 2011 was one of the first years I looked at um, and that was Geelong's year. So they started that year as 24 years, basically 24 years, even 24 years and zero days old um, at the start. And that, of that was year. also the squad, not their that was the whole squad. That was yeah. everyone on their list was twenty had an average age of 24 years, which made them the oldest team going into that season. They won the premiership. Yeah, right. The next year, Sydney were 23 years and 294 days old on average across their list, won the premiership, and again, ranked number one for um, average age of a squad. So first two I looked at, yeah, one and one, so older teams win. But if we sort of keep going down the list from 13 onwards with the Hawthorne three-peats, so Hawthorne were fourth, sixth, and fourth in terms of average age coming into their year. Bulldogs, uh, we'll skip Bulldogs for a sec. So Richmond was sixth um, in 2017. And then, yeah, Bulldogs are similar to Bulldogs and West Coast were both 13th um, for their average age mm. at the start of the year. So, again, we, we sort of spoke about the Bulldogs when they won the premiership. Were they winning a premiership ahead of time? Um, you know, as I said, they were 23 years and 120 days old, which was only... You know, as I said, with Sydney was 23 years, 294 days old, and that was the oldest. We sort of talk about the Bulldogs. So it's not a massive range. Exactly. It's not a massive a massive range in terms of different – because a lot of squad lists are similar. You've got your four or five young 18-year-olds. You might have – you know, we know Geelong have a higher proportion of 30-year-olds than other teams, but most teams are probably going to have 
four to five 30 plus year olds plus a whole heap of you know 21 22s and up and comers so a lot of squad lists make that uh look the same but again it's the ranking that was so different so i said sydney 2012 were the oldest coming into that bulldogs weren't much younger than that sydney team of 2012 but they were 13th compared to the rest of the teams coming mm. into that season so um 13th is for the bulldogs and west coast is the lowest uh ranking for average age um at the start of the season for a premier across across the last 10 years so um again those numbers sort of fluctuate as i said from first to sixth to 13th plus you know you go to melbourne last year that was the sixth oldest at the start of last season so a little bit in that but if you look at average games played um so taking away the actual age of players and just at the start of the year your average games played across your list um and this is probably the number that sort of stayed a bit a bit constant even though it switched in the 10 years that i looked at so 2011 again geelong were the most at 74 games per player on their list coming into the 2011 season that was the most uh and it was a fair way ahead sydney 65.1 in 2012 they were the third most uh fifth for hawthorne in 13 fifth for hawthorne in 14 third for hawthorne in 15. again bulldogs are the outlier 10th so they had the 10th most experience coming into the 2016 season and won it but again the quirk of the number to, from 2017 uh, so the last five premiers have ranked seventh, 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 and eighth for average games played at the start of the year. So that's a trend I can get behind. Again, I, I don't know if you can sit there as a list manager and aim to get yourself to the eighth <laughs> most experienced team at the start of the year. It's probably not a not a um, a number you're trying to reach as a benchmark, but just an interesting number of yeah. Richmond was seventh most experienced. West Coast was seventh. Richmond again seventh. Down to Melbourne eighth last year. So. Sort of looking at that and all those numbers for the last 10 years, take out the Bulldogs, no team has sort of won without being in the top eight for average age experience. So that's probably the one I landed on in terms of saying, okay, it looks like from the last 10 premiers, you've got to be in the top eight for average age of experience, uh, average games played, sorry, mm. at the start of the year. So that leads us to 2022 numbers. These are probably the eight teams that are, that are you know, in the top eight for that stat that have a chance to win the premiership. So tell me how these names sort of stack up to your feeling of whether they can win a premiership. Geelong? Yeah, I think they can yeah. this year. Richmond? No. Ooh, that'll be tough. Port? I don't think Change so. Now, well, but again, four weeks ago, we would have said... Four weeks ago, they were our number one tip. So uh, <laughs> we certainly had them in the window. Western Bulldogs? Again, um, runners-up last year. Yeah, still yeah, one of the better the teams, I think. Yeah. Melbourne, who are actually the fifth most experienced this year. Uh, and then, yeah, St Kilda, Sydney and Brisbane round out the top eight so again brisbane being in there i i look at it you know take out all the numbers and just look at it as a footy fan i think there's four teams sort of in the premiership window um again five that i've taken uh, port adelaide out from recent weeks but geelong brisbane bulldogs and melbourne to me i can genuinely see at this stage of the season winning the premiership. but, but those eight teams if 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 you said this four weeks ago even now it's not stupidly outrageous but if you said this four weeks ago before the season that the, uh, those eight teams we could easily sit there and say, yeah, that's probably the eight. That's not an outrageous eight. Not in that mm. order, maybe, but but you could say they they will be the teams that will make the top eight. It's, it's funny because you always think of, and we've joked about it, you know, the Cats being this really old team, but the the gap between the, the team with the most experience and the oldest average age is, is not that much higher when you look at it. It might be a year or, or maybe like a year and a half, two years max. That's the difference. It's not like it's it's this this gradual 
Um, you know, the average age of one team is 22 and the average age of the other is 27. Yeah, I um, think the, the issue with Geelong may be it's probably more about their best 22 than their squad. Yes. Um, and yeah. I, I don't have those numbers in front of me and I don't know if you do, Christian, but it seems to me that their best 22 or, or best 25 players even are significantly older than a lot of the other teams. Best. They, don't, they don't really have a lot of young players that are playing regularly. Uh, in their side. Yeah, um, absolutely. and again, even, and as Matty said, Matt just said then, um, the, the numbers are always, you know, quite scrunched together in terms of teams and average age and average games experience. There's not usually too much difference, but this year Geelong are quite significantly older and more experienced than the next most. So again, they've had 96 and a half games per player experience. Next most is Richmond at 80. So that's a 16, right. 16 gap between, you know, first and second there's not there's not a bigger gap between another two teams below richmond so richmond to port is seven games difference and then it's about one game at a time for the rest of the team so the 96 games is a clear a fair way ahead of everyone and they're also 25 sort of got decimal point 25.3 years old uh richmond are the next oldest at 25 and 24 years sorry 24 years and about three quarters sort of thing so they're almost a, well, they are a half a year older like percentage wise compared to the the rest of the comp that, that's a fair way ahead it might not yeah. seem like much but it is it is a fair usually point. we don't see a big gap between first and second for average age and average games experience but geelong are a fair way ahead um and again i haven't looked ahead at all or the behind other. that's an interesting way to look at it because do we look at geelong and say they're in the they you know the whole point of this is the premiership window are they in it because we, we do sort of skew towards those older more experienced teams so is it crazy for us to say well they can't win because they are an older team well, that's what I said. I mean, again, it would take a lot more study than what I could just do on my own, but there is no evidence in sport, I don't think, that a team has been too old to win a premiership or a championship or whatever it is. And it was, again, yeah, I'm a Lakers fan, so I, you know, <laughs> it was disastrous this year for them, but it was the same sort of thing. It was at the start of the year of the NBA season, the start of the AFL season. Oh, they're too old. They're too old. Well, show me a team that's proven that you're too old to win a flag because seen young teams win it but most of the time we see the older teams win it and we don't we haven't got to a tipping point where it's like okay once you reach 25 and a half that's too old you never yeah. win. um as i said so it, it footy demographics are changed from you know trying to compare 1920 list to 2022 list you're always going to have different age uh things but as i said the one for me that looking at it is more the games played doesn't really matter how old your players are it seems to be you need to be in the top eight for games played yeah. um based on the last 10 years to have a good shot at Getting to the getting to grand final day at least. Well, That'd be a question without notice. But have you looked at what some of the grand final twenty twos have been made up of, and what their average age and what their average games played might be? So if you can look at like when you're running out there in finals, the average list profile is X. Yeah. So looking at the last, I sort of kept it to this last few grand finals just to compare. So again, if we look at Melbourne, and it's just to give you a scope of the difference in numbers. So their average games played at the start of last year was sixty five. Uh, but when they ran out for grand final day, it was it was one of the one of the least experienced grand final premiership winning teams. But they were up to ninety eight games per player on the on the twenty two that actually ran out on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar to Richmond in two thousand seventeen, they were sixty two and a half games experience at the start of the year per player on their list. But the team that ran out for grand final day was one hundred and three games experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, last I mean, five, there's grand... a lot of players on the list that aren't playing. They're not. They're not. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. zero games. Yeah, and then and so you look at the last five premiers on um, grand final day, Melbourne's the lowest at 98 games experience. Uh, the rest are about 132, 124, 119, 103. So, 
again, usually see about four or five teams on a weekend playing with 100 games experience. Um, and as we said, you got to have your best players on the park come the point of the season to, to actually win it. So That may be where I, I query Geelong, because as I said, I, I, I tend to think that their best 22 that would run out uh, and play in a ground. And it is one game, and it's so hard to say. And as you were saying about it, there's no proof that says if you're this age, you cannot win. But I would imagine that their best 22 average games played would be significantly higher than anybody else. Yeah. Fair enough. But, um, but again, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's, that's hard to answer. Well, I think we've tried to answer it every year and have been proven wrong by the Cats for, for at least the last sort of three years and the way they've been able to um, just bounce back up off the off the canvas and, and get up and have another go. Um, obviously, there are many other variables. You can't just look at a team's age and go, great, we're in a premiership window. We yeah. should win the flag this year. And we've covered in the podcast Our previously. Our age is good, but we've got absolutely no talent. We're going to win the flag. <laughs> we've covered it in the podcast previously. So maybe if you want a, a bigger deep dive, feel free to uh, go back. I think it was last year we looked at you know what the premiership metrics were. But can you just give us a quick recap, Christian, of what some of the premiership contenders have done, like some of the statistical hallmarks of these teams, whether it's you know winning contested ball or whatever it might be? Yeah, so it, it's... It's gotten a bit more specific in recent years, but yeah, it is. It's big on contested ball and scoring from turnovers. Uh, when we drill down on it in the last three or four years, contested ball, obviously you can, you know, it's, it's winning a contest. There's pre-clearance. So that's at the stoppages where you've got a lot of bodies around and basically every ball that's won there is a contest. So whichever team picks it up is winning a contest possession. Then you've got post-clearance uh, contested possessions, which is outside of play. That's more general play. And that's probably the harder sort of, hard footballs again a lot more is swinging towards post clearance contested possessions. so not worried too much about the clearance and the clearance numbers but as long as we can win contested possessions in general play um and score from turnovers um and control territory is basically the the easiest way to to sort of you know um summarize what teams are trying to do it's just different ways of being able to dominate turnover. some some teams want to dominate territory by creating a lot of forward half stoppages or some might mm. create territory by yeah by uh, a turnover game and things but as i said it's outscoring teams from turnovers and winning more of the ball in general play the two things are just going to sort of stack you up well mm, there we go uh, premiership window i've heard it said a lot uh, but now we can kind of actually sort of start to define it which is always fun on this podcast uh moving on jake time for one of our favorite segments justified hype or hyperbole i'll say and a I statement have- I have a question for you, I believe. Um, You certainly do. And I know that you don't have the run sheet open in front of you because you never do. do, But Uh, uh, but you might as well kick us off then. Yeah, I will. Um, (laughs) So the question is, should Taylor Walker have played for the Crows on the weekend? Uh, No, no, I don't think he should have. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change my answer at the last minute. I think that is justified because I think he should have played. But I think now that that, punishment for his racist remark has been handed out and served out at the six weeks that it was i think australian football as a community now needs to raise the bar on what the punishment for players i mean fans are always going to be a bit of a fickle one and, and a bit one a one that's hard to police um, but fans do get like life bans from stadiums and, and year-long bans from stadiums i think football players the bar needs to be raised for racist remarks on the field and we can't have another episode like Taylor Walker um, racially abusing another player uh, and then just serve six weeks and, and, and think that it's all good because we saw, um, you know, just last night, Marby or, oh, sorry, on Sunday night, Marby or Chol had to call out another racist remark on Instagram. And we've seen throughout the last couple of years, a lot of players have had to call out racist remarks and, and, and abuse that they cop on Instagram. And if you're 
allowing players to get away with this at, at, at you know, at a football level and sort of say, ah, oh, slap on the wrist, have six weeks off, and then you can come back. I can't see how they are a leading example for young people in particular and people who, you know, aren't in the spotlight to be, to be stopping or, or not doing it themselves. So I think that Walker, fair enough. He's played his, his, he's, he's played out his suspension and, and, and all that. But I think in the future, the bar needs to be raised and we need to say, have a year ban or have a life ban. If you're going to be a racist on the field, because I think we're beyond that as a, as a community. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's outrageous to say, look, I don't think six weeks is a slap on the wrist, but there's also no reason why if the AFL is serious about this, and we spoke about the next challenge for uh, the next AFL CEO, perhaps this is something that comes in and says, right, then Good if shout. this happens, the next time this happens, the new precedent will be you're out. It's one strike and you're out. The sad reality is, that we will never get to a point, I don't believe, where it's completely eradicated in terms of fans. You're always going to have stupid fans saying dumb stuff. But players, especially yeah. captains and former captains of clubs, that's the most worrying part. And that I have absolutely... Ban a, ban a fan for their life. Do whatever you want. I don't know how you can control that from a fan ever coming into a stadium again. But a player... I wouldn't be against it. If the AFL came out and said, if the next person that does it and from here on, hmm. you're not playing again, you're out of the league, I certainly don't think that is an overreaction. I think there's no... Re just like there's some things we have to take super, super seriously. You know, we, we don't tolerate gambling on games and, and that comes with a massive penalty. This is the same thing. There, there, there's three or four things that you just cannot tolerate and that's the way it has to be. And, and people will say, oh, it's so harsh, a life ban or a year ban, but don't whatever do it might it. be. But as soon as the bar is raised, you know where the where the point is. And, and it is say, harsh, but it's harsh for a reason because it shouldn't happen. Yeah, you know, it, it's on. the same reason why you get thrown in jail for twenty five years if you kill somebody. It's harsh, but you, that's because you shouldn't be doing it. Fair enough, uh, Christian. I'll throw this one at you. Um, Gold Coasts. I mean, speaking of maybe a child and the Suns, we had a great week, a uh, great win on the weekend. Uh, Gold Coast start to the season is another false dawn. Is that justified or is that hyperbole? Uh, I'm leaning towards justified at the moment. Just and again, it's probably a little bit personal because I've jumped on their bandwagon before in previous years and thought they were better than they actually were. So again, just just sort of pulling up and looking at the numbers and why I feel that way. So looked at 2014 to 2022. So um, looked at rounds one to four and Gold Coast at the at from rounds one to four across the last eight years, 18 wins, 18 losses in that time. So 50% start um, in the first month of a season. From that point onwards across the season, there have been 29 wins, 108 losses, and a couple of draws in there too. So again, it's just one of those wait and sees for Gold Coast for me because we do know they're, again, we just spoke about age demographics and list demographics and that, you know, they're, they're not in the premiership window. They're not in the premiership window. They're fourth, <laughs> fourth for um, age and third for games experience. So it's more about longevity for me. They've, they've changed their game style up last year. They were very uh, short kicking high mark um, game style, which we sort of had a chuckle over in here that they were also, I think they had the lowest kick rating, but they were sort of uh, kicking at the ball the most. So they were the worst kicks, but choosing to kick it the most. So, they switched that up and they're playing different style. They're getting it, you know, faster out of stoppages. And uh, I think they're top three for inside fifties this year as well. So just getting them ball and continually moving forward. So there is good signs, but again, I look back at some of the other 
first four rounds, they've been top three for inside 50s at this stage of the season before. They've been top five for uh, points four at this time of the season before. So i uh, got to see it for another two weeks. Before Hold your horses, everybody. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and Jake, David Mundy, one of your favourite players and, and listeners of the pod will, will know the man love that you have for David Mundy. Although I feel like he's been usurped this season by Andy Brayshaw <laughs> over at Dockers. <laughs> Waiting for that. I need some, some young blood. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's go back to Monday for a second. Uh, is he a future Hall of Famer? This is really interesting. And this only, this, I just noticed this uh, early, earlier today. So just looking at, so just for context, David Money's played 356 games. It's the most of any current player in the league. Assuming, he, I know he's missed a couple of the games at the start of the season, but assuming he plays the next 10, that'll take him to 366. And he'll be 10th all time in most games played. Now, just this is the list of the players, the other players in that top 10. Adam Goods, Craig Bradley, Simon Madden, Rob Harvey, Dustin Fletcher, Kevin Bartlett, Sean Burgoyne, Michael Tuck, and Boomer Harvey. The other, those nine, I would say, are absolute, all of them, they're absolute locks for the Hall of Fame if they're not there already. Mm. As much as I love David Mundy think, and think he's been a phenomenal player and one of the best Fremantle players of all time, I don't know if he is. And, yeah. and, and, and you, it's not just the top 10. You can kind of go down to the top 20 and look at them. And, and you pretty much look at every player. You know, you've got players like Matthew Pavlich, a former teammate, Eddie Betts, Paul Ruse, Gary Ablett Jr. A lot of players like they're just absolute locks for the Hall of Fame. And you think, is, is David Mundy in there? And you, sometimes you might look at games and think, oh, he has to be if he gets close to potentially playing 400 games. But I don't know. I mean, he's as great as he's been. Does he deserve yeah. to be in it? Again, I was taught, we, we did speak about this pre-pod and I was sort of saying, I looked at his, you know, his uh, honour roll and things. I said, well, he's played a lot of games. He's been in a lot of seasons, but for one BNF um, and I think one All-Australian selection, which, you know, doesn't jump up the page of you. But I think you've sold me. I'm, I'm with you. I think long-time servant of the game, if you're top 10 for games played, you've got to be in the Hall of Fame, don't you? You've given your life to footy, like whether you've been the yep. best at it or not. He is, uh, again, just hearing you talk about it, I think that, if you're in the top 20 for games played, you should be in the Hall of Fame, shouldn't you? Just because of the time you've given to football. Yeah, you've convinced me, Christian. I think that's absolutely right. I think uh, if you get to a certain point, um, you know, and he's been a wonderfully consistent player. And that's kind of the hallmark of who he has been, you know, this entire time. Doesn't do a lot of media, just goes about his business, does it really well. I, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I've, I've just sort of come to this conclusion now. And I think, Jake, this is kind of why we have the legends designation as well as part of the Australian Football Hall of Fame, where if you are the sort of you know, these exceptional people and you look at someone like maybe you know, Eddie Betts who might go on and do great things with Indigenous mentorship and all that, he might end up being a legend one day and that's absolutely fair enough. Um, but I think, yeah, I think Mundy's probably there. He, I think Christian's just got him over the line for me. I'd love for him to be there. As you said off the top, he is one of my favourite players and I love the way he, he plays. He's phenomenal. I guess a part of it is, and, and just looking at the best and fairest and, and his relatively you know, short honour roll is that he has played at a time where, you know, he was there with Matthew Pavlich, who took a lot of the spotlight, um, yep. Aaron Sandlins, and then Nat Fife. So he's played with some all-timers. Um, and there is obviously the the playing in WA aspect as well. There, there, there just is. I know there is. Mm. Um, whether people will admit it or not, there, there's, if he was playing, if he played his whole career at Collingwood, I'm convinced he'd have more than one uh, one uh, All-Australian jacket. Interesting. Uh, good debate, though. 
Uh, one more, and this is a surprise one. Jake, you still haven't organized something for the 100th episode, Justified Hype or Hyperbole? Well, is it? It's. Oh. It's justified. <laughs> it is it is it this week or next? <laughs> I think it's this week, but let's I call it next week. Let's you... call it next week. Big things in store next week. <laughs> uh, and before we go, footy tips, uh, you can tip with us. Make sure you, you get around the uh, get around the competition. Uh, Footytips.com.au forward slash ESPN footy pod. I can tell you now. Not a good week for me. Not a good week for you. I'm still scrolling and I haven't seen your name. 22. You're 22nd. Uh, you got three this week, Jake. So no good. Um, I should have not tipped. That's well, a you shocker. did say you were going to tip the uh, the power. Yeah, no good on the on port. That was Maybe. a shocker. We didn't that, even talk about port. No, we haven't. We, we've had um, lucky. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like um, it feels like a month ago, but that was just dire. You know, yeah. it got to the it got to a stage in that game as bad as this sounds, and I thought, I don't want him to kick a goal. I want this to be the story. And I want people to remember 10 years time. Remember that game where Port didn't kick a goal? When Houston kicked that goal, it was a pretty good goal, just quietly, by the way. I reckon 100,000 television sets around the country just went, now I'm done. Yeah, 100%. Because it's like you're watching for the most, it's like you want to see at the end of the final siren, it's like, yeah, they kicked nine behinds. Didn't get a goal. <laughs> the X score would have been good to see on that one. Uh, moving up the page, uh, see Jolly 15th with 22. Not so bad. just the margin not is bad. between you two. So it's actually not a whole lot between a lot of people. Uh, M. Walsh 5th with 25. Fifth, well done. Thank you very much. A rare a rare positive tipping season for you. <laughs> Neil Seaway. There we go. A couple of mentions. Uh, he's 14th, although I keep getting ads popping up. Um <laughs> Who we got top? Why am I getting ads popping up? Mark Dallas Jones, 25. 25 well tips so far. Top, Good of, the, Good top of the standings. And zero on the margin this week. Fantastic. Oh, fair effort. Good stuff. All right, uh, that'll do us for the week. We will speak to you next Tuesday. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.